Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am John McKenzie and I'm joined as ever by my good pal and producer Mike Zimmerman. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing good, John. We're getting into the thick of transfer season and things are getting very exciting. We are indeed and we are coming back to you with another Sensible Transfer podcast, which is really good fun to to make. We've made lots of videos on the TIFO IRL channel and this is just an accompaniment to those, a, a wonderful side dish to those videos. So do make sure you check those videos out on our IRL channel on YouTube. So Mike, what stood out for you in the conversation? I really enjoyed the conversation about how West Ham will and should use their Declan Rice cash to improve their squad. We've seen in the past that just because you get an injection of money, it doesn't mean it's always spent the right way. Look at Spurs after selling Bale, Liverpool with Suarez. So I I found that conversation really interesting to kind of see and, and foreshadow what West Ham will do. Yeah, and I think another theme that came through quite a bit was this idea that Managers now seem to be bringing in players who are going to cover a few different positions. We're going to see squad rotation become a much bigger thing, I think, in elite football. And so that means that there's been quite a few transfers this summer where people have been a little bit curious about how they're going to fit in. So we talked about Mason Mount from that respect, and we also talked about Kai Havertz as well. So plenty of things for us to get our ears around in this week's episode. And as was the case last week, the first voice that you're going to hear is going to be Ruben Pinder because he's hosting the episode. So without further ado, let's get to that episode. Transfers have started happening a bit more now, haven't they? Um, so to begin with, why don't we each go like name a transfer that you find particularly interesting um, and, and a brief explanation as to why. John, yeah. what about you? Yeah, so I've gone for Mason Mount because I think Mason Mount is maybe a player I think everyone knows quite well, quite a divisive player as well. There's a lot of people who don't think he's very good and a lot of people who think he's very good and there's, I suppose, a big chasm between those two. Uh, assessments uh, but also it feels to me like a, a transfer um, that's that's interesting because it doesn't really seem to fit into what it was that we were saying that Manchester United needed in particular before the window started so I think um, I, f- I found that a, a fairly interesting um, uh, transfer to, to sort of talk about because it does feel as though we are moving into a uh, an era where actually a lot of players are being brought in that aren't necessarily like for like replacements for the player that they're coming in for um, and I think that sort of raises bigger questions about what we're going to see in terms of squad rotation a little bit more in the future. So you're not just looking for, you know, we, we said in the video that came out on IRL today, Manchester United are looking for someone who can back up Christian Eriksen and maybe eventually replace him in the course of the season. But Mason Mount isn't exactly like Christian Eriksen. So what are the other attributes that he has that means he can be played elsewhere or can play the role in a different way as well? Yeah, they can play similar positions, but they play them slightly differently, right? Um, and yeah, players are unique, so you're never going to get a like-for-like. Like, like uh, last week we mentioned Busquets, like Barcelona will never get a carbon copy of him, so you have to adapt. But, uh, just on Mason Mount, before we move on... Um, JJ John mentioned that some people love him and some people hate 
uh, or not hate, but some people don't see the value in Mason Mount. They don't particularly rate him as as an elite player. Why do you think he's such a polarizing um, player to uh, among fans? I think it's because he doesn't give you the numbers. He doesn't score lots and lots of goals. I'm trying to remember exactly how many he scores in a season, and that will help me decide what side of this argument I will fall on. He sometimes gets loads. So they, in the 21-22 season, he had 11 goals and 10 assists. So that's a season when he's a great player because he has all the numbers. But then it's not... Like, if you're playing a game and you only get three goals and four assists, you're like, that's not great. No. I think that's not Especially great. when you're an attacking midfielder, kind of regardless of what type of attacking midfielder you are. Exactly. And you think about Odegaard, like this mm. season scored, like I don't know, was it 15 or something from midfield? And that's kind of maybe what you... Or Deli Ali did it once, playing in what people think was attacking the field. Obviously, completely different roles. And then it depends how much you really value. Like a lot of what Mason Mount will be doing is things that you'll never even notice. Like he's just staying one side of someone on the ball to stop him being able to pass to the other side of the pitch. Just like it's just trying to make sure that player is in the blind side of them so they can't pass it, which is a really simple, very boring thing to do, but does it very, very well. So tactically, it's very useful. And as you know, everyone talks about, he's very good out of possession but he's a very tidy player and there's a reason that lots of managers like playing him he, he does all the bits and pieces that you need he follows instructions very well he does seem yeah. to follow instructions very yeah. well my theory around Mount kind of is I agree with both of you and I I also think because of when he came through he was constantly compared to people like Grealish and Foden who are a bit easier on the eye and that makes him look boring and they play like, wider a lot right as well yeah, with so all they, the action happens so they get into more 1v1 kind of situations yeah, uh, yeah. okay um, JJ what's your intriguing transfer that's happened so far uh, Leighton Clarkson to Aberdeen oh yeah <laughs> well what, what's he going to provide uh, Aberdeen well this is the thing so obviously it's very hard to attract decent players to Aberdeen and Leighton Clarkson was very important last season for people who don't know who he is I mean I'm sure everyone, everyone yeah, does everyone knows, everyone yeah. he's a Liverpool midfielder plays as a six little tidy small lad who's really neat and tidy on the ball can make things happen in the final third as well the kind of player you don't generally get in Scotland because they tend to be too expensive but uh, Aberdeen especially seems to have worked out like you can attract a certain level of player and you can make them better and then they can move on to a bigger job somewhere else and get paid even more in like, the championship once they start to impress because you think what's happened recently with Aberdeen like Lewis Ferguson's gone to Bologna and been really really good there's um, a bit of noise just now about um Ramadan could go to, to Lecce again in Serie A. It's a big step up. Scott McKenna's going to Nottingham Forest. Calvin Ramsey's going to Liverpool. And, well, he's not got games yet, right? And Clarkson's going the other way. But you make yourself a club that can then develop players, move them on. And so they see it as a really good shopping window. And also they get to play and play in Europe and get all that sort of experience. So, I mean, obviously I'm biased because I also support Aberdeen. But it's a really high-level player for me, <laughs> for that team. So it's very interesting that they can do that. But if I'm doing an answer along the lines of what you actually want me to do, it would have to be... Um, I really like Arda Guler. We talked about him last week on the podcast. And he's going to uh, Real Madrid. Cool. Yeah. And he's going to, what, uh, deputise for Rodrigo on the right? Well, maybe. You think he'd be... There's more chance of him playing on that right side and he's more of suited to that kind of uh, playmaker role coming in off the wide areas into that. But he tends to like for Turkey he plays in the as one of the like, the wide eight if it's a th- oh, right. three midfield. He tends to be more like that. So like uh, it's halfway between a ten and an eight. Real Madrid have got enough of those though, haven't they? So they've got loads of midfielders. And give, give, so given his inexperience, he will probably play out wide. But if he's comfortable in those central areas, then shows that he's quite a composed player, right? So, well, it's yeah. kind of like, it shows the ambition, right? So you choose Real Madrid after over everyone else. Like if you think about what like Erling Holland did as an absolute star, he was at Salzburg first, right? 
and then went to Dortmund because that's a good way to st- make the step up make sure you're playing all the time definitely you're definitely playing so you develop and then he goes from there to City and then whatever else does after. Yeah, that's what his camp were prioritising, his personal development, right? So that eventually when you do get to the elite level, you are better than you might have been had you gone somewhere and not played. Yeah. It is worth saying that Real Madrid don't have a huge amount of depth on the right. They've got Rodrigo yeah. there and then they have Valverde who can play in midfield as well. And the big question is what they're going to do with their number nine spot because everyone knows that Mbappe is eventually going to arrive there. Um, and and they've not brought, they brought Hosselu in right as a, as a sort of I love that story though. <laughs> like the fact that he was pretty poor for Stoke and Newcastle and then even struggled to score goals in Spain and then when he hit 30 he just started banging them in made his Spain debut at the age of 32 and now he's at Real Madrid mm. yeah and they're using him as a, as a holdover right so yeah. it's unlikely that Mbappe is going to arrive this window it's much more financially valuable for him to stay an extra season at PSG PSG yeah <laughs> and and um, and then bring him in at the, in, in next summer and, and as a result of that Real Madrid are sort of in this holding pattern where they don't want to bring anyone in and one of the solutions that they may have is to move Rodrigo who's the the prime right winger for Real Madrid into as a false nine into the middle uh, which means that if you've got Valverde and, and Rodrigo both sort of covering other positions then there's a chance that he could get played more than you would expect so who knows yeah, yeah. Asensio's just gone to PSG as well so like, there's, right. a, there's a gap there uh, yeah he's come off the bench quite a lot when he last mm. season I don't know it's kind of interesting because you think you want to play all the time and Real Madrid is quite hard to get a game Really, so is there every chance that he goes into the squad for preseason and he gets loaned out to somewhere like the Bundesliga and makes that step up anyway? But Real just loan him. Remember when um, Odegaard was all the rage? Speaking of him earlier, and he went to Real early. Yeah, then, he he was about fifteen, I think. Yeah, it was then, a bit different. He hadn't, hadn't played yeah. for. Had he played for Norway at the time? Maybe he had. Maybe I think they did. They loan him to Vitesse. Or he played for Castillo, is that what they call Castillo, the B team, yeah. yeah. And then he ended up going to Real Sociedad, where he actually really developed. Yeah, yeah, became really good. So maybe we'll see that with Guler, and he'll, I'm sure he'll get games. I mean, he's absolutely magic. So well, I've never seen him play, so I look forward to watching him come off the bench for five minutes in the Champions League and pre- pretending I know lots about him. Um, my pick would be Kai Havertz because. Um, he's been he's been very underwhelming for Chelsea for a couple of seasons, mainly because he's quite clearly been played in the wrong position. So, given that supposedly the plan at Arsenal is to play him as the left-sided eight with Xhaka seemingly on his way to buy Leverkusen, um, much more attacking, sort of like minded player in that uh, in that role now for Arsenal, and I think it will suit him a lot better, especially because they do that inversion thing where Zinchenko plays in midfield, and then that allows him to go much further forward. Um, so I think Arsenal have actually got themselves a pretty good deal there. Like he showed a lot of promise in Germany, and interesting in defence, though, right? Because then yeah. when they drop deeper, what role? He, it'd be good help in the high press, but if they're stuck in a deeper kind of yeah, when Zinchenko block. goes back to playing at left back, yeah, yeah, then what? Then how's that gonna? I suppose that's why they've also signed Declan Rice. So obviously he's going to play as the six with Havertz to his left and Odegaard to his right. Just quickly, John, does that position suit Rice and his skill set well? Or, I mean, the point I'm getting at is that in most other teams, whether it's England or West Ham, he's always had someone to kind of cover for him and allow him to charge up the pitch. So will he be able to do that? I mean, yeah, you say he's obviously going to play this way, but I guess we don't really know what Arteta is going to do. There is There is the possibility for... Uh, Arsenal to play in a different structure to the way that they've played in, in the last few seasons. Uh, there's been suggestions that, that Arteta could play with a box midfield, which I guess changes things. But as you say, if you are going to play with a box midfield, where does the second player in that in, in the in the 
in the deeper double pivot and the two players and on in that, that box. On that actually, because De- doesn't Rice, he seems to prefer playing on the left side of the pitch despite being right-footed. Hmm. Um, and Sinchenko is obviously left-footed. So if he were to invert from left-back, then Rice would have to shuffle to the right side of the pitch. So maybe... It, could we see Ben White do it the other in the other direction, or is Urian Timber seemingly on his way there as yeah, well? Yeah, you put Timber in, you can play Tierney at left back, and you've got a nice attacking left back as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lo- lots of options. He gives them loads of options, Timber. It's really interesting. Mm. I like that transfer a lot. I don't know a lot about him, but I look forward to. Do we tell you? Yeah, go on. So it's a video about Timber, which will come out by the time this podcast is out. But he's a he's a very lovely twenty two year old international Dutch centre back. Plays for Ajax, so you can play lots of positions like most Ajax players can when they come through the academy. Um, he's like a ball-playing, ball-carrying player. Although Arteta said he doesn't like it when there's his centre-backs trying to dribble out. He, like, he wants them to pass. I guess it's positional play, right? You want to get them into the positions. But uh, you can do all that sort of stuff. But he can play, he can overlap on the right. He goes, goes in the half space very well when he goes forward, especially in the final third. He suits playing that right centre-back role. So if you put him alongside Saliba, he can play to his right. But you could also cover on the left for... Gabriel, and he could also cover for Saliba if he's resting. And by the sounds of it, Ben White. And Ben White, exactly. He so sounds very similar to Ben White in the way that you're describing him. Actually. Yeah, he's he's more um, he's more say, not dribbly, but he can carry the ball more, or just does it. There's often the weird thing with stats, right? Because you look at them and you think, oh, he does this more, therefore that's what he does. But he might have been told to do that. Or I think Ben Ben White is a good ball carrier, but Ben White to me feels more like a centre back ball yeah. carrying than than a fullback ball carry. Yeah, I know. I agree, I agree totally. Surprisingly good at overlapping, though, given his conversion from centre back to right back. I know. Then I think things like that, like he, they're just good footballers. I mean, anyone can he's do just, that. He's just an like, elite athlete. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a good footballer, you can do, you can play pretty much anywhere. It's just that it's the nuances of that position that you notice the differences in. Like there'll be some players who, I mean, Hakimi is a much better right back than Ben White is doing the things that Hakimi is but Ben White is better at doing the things that Ben White does than what Hakimi does and if you're a good footballer you can play pretty much anywhere you can play Ben White up front you'd do all right yeah probably <laughs> I don't think he'd score 25 goals I don't think he then. should play up front no because they've got other players who are better in that position exactly like Gabriel I would Jesus. like to distance myself from the Ben White as a striker <laughs> I, well, Gar- I, Gareth I hope all I'm listen. saying is give it a chance <laughs> um, so uh, coming back to Timber this is maybe a little bit of a sideways shuffle conversationally but um, you've mentioned that he he's really good at operating in half spaces particularly further up the pitch and there's something I've noticed that happens a lot with Dutch coaches in particular when they're using their fullbacks to invert um, compared to someone like Arteta so when when someone like Arteta does it it, it seems to have the intention of getting an extra play in the midfield area to in, in order to be able to control the, the the ball better and progress it down the field and also give you that that rest defense element of, of being able to cover mm-hmm. if the ball is turned over whereas with coaches like um, well Eric Ten Hag is a good example whenever his he obviously uses Luke Shaw um, to to invert on one side. Diego Dallo, even Aaron Wambasaka has done it on the other side. When it, when they're doing it, it does feel as though obviously it has that sort of first phase. You've got an extra player in there, you can move the ball around, but also seems to like to, like to get them to almost underlap, getting really far forward in those in those um, yeah. in those half spaces. So I wondered if you thought that you know Yuri and Timber, you've seen him doing a lot of like what I would probably call underlapping, right? Do you see him doing a lot of midfield controlling? Because whenever I think whenever I've seen him do that sort of stuff, he tends to do it out of 
centre-back and push forward into the midfield rather than yeah. what, what you I can see them a... I think Arteta will change what Arsenal do a bit next season because we know how they played it's got to keep surprising his, people right? he, he has different attributes and different players now so that he, he can do different things he doesn't always have to play the back four he can start it with a three and then even Rice could drop in the back like John Stones does who knows there's loads of options they've got right and then Saka tends to always come off the right he always starts wider because they have the block in the middle so they can pass through that and then comes inside but what if you have Saka that stays wider or you play someone else there and they stay wider and then you get the underlapping thing from uh, Timber I think he's because um, like if Ben White's in that that same role underlapping I think he's more likely to try and pass it or maybe make play a bit of a safer pass whereas I think Timber would try and just run through people mm-hmm. and break a line that way it would be quite useful but I don't think he'll do any one specific thing I think he'll give them options so that they can do it in game and uh, take advantage if someone's got a weaker left side or a weaker right or depending on what injuries you've got or if Zinchenko I mean Zinchenko missed 17 games last season through injury and so it's quite a lot yeah I, I don't realize. remember Tierney playing that much he, well he came off the bench a lot he didn't right, they, played, they moved Jack into it because Tierney, oh, yeah. Tierney um, I love Tierney but he's uh, he plays in the wide areas and he mostly plays when he was at Celtic he was great going forward he was one of their best attackers hitting crosses and he's amazing hitting crosses in but he also played left centre back. It's weird. He's either left centre back three, or he's yeah. a winger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you wouldn't necessarily want him playing in the way that Zinchenko did last season. Exactly. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to do it. So then it changes what you do with that. So. Yeah. Well, I hope yeah. Arsenal fans come up with a chant for Yuri and Timber to the tune of the Pitbull and Kesha song. <laughs> What's that one? You know that I'm going down. I'm going down. You could go Yuri and Timber. Uh, you must have heard that song. You. Is on the radio. We can't sing any more of it because we'll be in flagrant, yeah, flagrant that's, breach. Of... That's all the. the, the Where have you heard again. that? What the Pitbull song? Yeah, <laughs> on the, like anywhere. I, I've heard of it. You must have heard of it. No, I don't. I'm know. going I'll play down. It to you I'm yelling timber, yeah. and it goes. Ooh, yeah, I'm Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but not but in that voice. No, um, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, question. Not he's songs. not an accountant from from uh, Reading. No, it's, yeah, I don't my understanding of like it's Pitbull songs. Is like there's like a bit of music and he goes. That's John. <laughs> well, I know. Yeah, um, need more Pitbull. Mike says <laughs> more Pitbull on the Tifo podcast. That is my mandate. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, listener's question on Declan Rice. Uh, now everybody knows West Ham have got £105 million burning a hole in their pocket and they've got an ageing squad and they'll be in four competitions. You've got £105 million to spend and you need to kind of revamp the squad. So any ideas as to who they should target or what kind of profile of player they should target? Funny you should ask that, Ruben, because I looked at depth, in depth. At, at depth. In depth, at depth. <laughs> to, to West Ham. 
Now, West Ham finished 14th last season, and I jest at them being not very good, but the underlying numbers suggest they aren't very good. They're about 14th. They were six points off relegation. They tried to change the way they were playing last season to be more, I think, pushing the, high, the line a bit higher and trying to keep the ball a bit more. It didn't work. They regressed. Maybe it's not regression. I think it's maybe the right choice. Reverted. To being, reverted to being more of a, a counter-attack team. You can play the ball in the space and utilise the assets they have. People like Mikel Antonio because Kamaka wasn't cutting it. And... Um, and so instead, what they've got now is a, a, a rice-shaped hole, which is very thin, <laughs> in the middle of the midfield. Uh, and it prob- they're probably very likely going to play a 4-2-3-1. They'll, occasionally, they'll do a back three, and it'll be mostly a 3-4-3. And so they need to choose what kind of profiles of players they're looking at. And what will have come out in the video that will be out at the same time as this podcast is that we think there's a few kind of midfield profiles they can look at. So rice is exceptional at winning the ball and progressing it. You do it in a couple of different ways, but he tends to do it by carrying it. So he, he's really good at reading the play and positioning himself correctly to break things up. But then often he'll carry it. He can, he's got a good range of passing as well. And so some of the players we were mentioning, like, it depends on their budget because they've got this much money. So people will... What they've said, though, is that they'll only spend that money or like that kind of 105. Yeah, they won't spend there's still going to be a bit of a West Ham tax, though, isn't there? Yeah. Like, or a Declan Rice tax. You they know spent what? a bit last year as well. And then the players like Pakita didn't quite work out for them. So they'll, they'll probably hope that, you know, these, these count as extra new players now. But if you spend that on someone like uh, like Dennis Zakaria, who's at Chelsea, probably available. It makes kind of sense. Is he He's a Chelsea player or was he on No, that? no, he was on loan um, from Juventus, was yeah, it? Yeah. Um, and there were other players too, which yeah, I will tell ta- you about. He's talented and his stock will be a bit lower than maybe it was before. So, yeah, that's that sounds like, well, the, the sounds like a someone, sensible transfer to me. I think the beauty of someone like Zakaria is that the, the age-old problem with West Ham is that they, they sort of play Moyes ball and they do quite well and then they want to do better. So the idea is how do we start playing more consistently elite possession-based football? It's just every club between 9th yeah, and 15th. Sure, right? sure. Yeah, sure. And um, they try and do that and they bring in players like Skamaka who then doesn't get played because it doesn't really work and then they end up just reverting back to what Moyes was doing the season before uh, and I think with someone like Den- Dennis Zakaria is is great because he can play both styles right he's going to be good enough in possession to be able to to play possession football but he's also not going to be wasted if that style doesn't work so I think that's quite a nice pick on on that basis yes and we picked some other names that you'll see in the video I don't want to go over the whole thing we've done already but like James Ward-Prowse went down to Southampton he's very good at the free kicks Scott McTominay He's a very... Scott McTominay. We, we, feels like a West Ham transfer, that, doesn't it? Yeah, we've, I mean, he's got a few similarities to Rice. Like, he's not quite as um, prolific with his tackles, necessarily. But, like, he flies into tackles. He's box-to-box. He yeah, carries nowhere the they ball. spend £105 million on it. Yeah. <laughs> he carries the ball more than he passes it. Like, there's similarities there that could work. Yeah. Um, you could play Scott McTominay up front. I'll get behind that. I think you could. I think he's better there than centre-back, to be honest. <laughs> you mentioned James Ward-Prowse. Yeesh. Another midfielder at Southampton that is in demand, is uh, Romeo Lavia. Where should he go? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question. My um, lovely. <laughs> da, 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 da. Where should he go? We're, we're definitely going to get pulled up by the copyright police. Lavia. <laughs> what are you singing? Where should Pitbull, he go? Do you not know this song? Pitbull. No, I don't know that one. Is this because it's from the 90s and you're too young to know what that <laughs> one is? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> You don't know that? Where did she go? My lovely. I, 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 I don't know. What? I don't think so. Show, That's show, insane show it to me. me afterwards. Okay. I was only born in 1996. You should know what that one is. Okay. Well, maybe my musical taste is just not... Well, that's, I mean, that's pure... Radio 1 dance anthems. Okay. Well, yeah, I should know it then. I've, I'm sorry to let you down. That's okay. You haven't let me down. I just, I'm surprised you don't know it. <laughs> cool. 
Um, anyway, sorry. Romeo, Romeo Lavia. Romeo Lavia. Um, firstly, what kind of midfielder is he? He's like a controlling number six, right? I think that will be the question that people ask over the next few seasons. What is it that, that he can do? Because I think he does he does a lot of everything quite well. Uh, he's really ag- aggressive out of possession. Uh, but when he wins possession back, he has the ability to, to play progressive passes uh, very quickly I think actually which makes a big difference so you can win possession back and then move the ball on um, when the opposition is still uh, in a little bit of a uh, of a chaotic state which I think is is good good ball carrier as well um, and what we're seeing at the moment is lots of questions about players like Declan Rice can you play them as eights can you play them in uh, can you break some of the the, the 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 mold of some of the expectations that people have about where players should play and what roles are and you know if if a, a midfielder is over six foot and and is is quite aggressive out of possession does that mean they should always be a six can you play them as an eight um uh, and uh, yeah I, th- I i personally think that lavia will probably remain a six because he's he's played there pretty much his, his whole career so far and i think he has a lot of attributes which um, make it the best role, sort of role. Obviously, it depends on, on the system you're in, but the best sort of role for, for someone of his profile. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure people will be arguing in the future that that he he could be an eight, could be you know a bit more of a physical uh, ball carrier, box crusher type of player as well. Well, I suggest to you then that he sounds like a good fit for Liverpool, given Fabinho's aging legs. I think he's a bit more busy than that. He's one of these six eight hybrids, and he's. he's Goes into challenges quite a lot. Do you know who'd be a good um, ball-winning midfielder? Pitbull. <laughs> uh, a Pitbull, not not the Pitbull. Both, yeah. I guess. Good midfield pair. Gets, who, gets sent off a lot, probably. Pitbull would. Yeah. Why <laughs> biting. biting? Yeah. Yeah. Doing other dog stuff. Uh, so Liverpool, what are they... Um, Yes, Liverpool. Blah, sorry, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how to respond to those jokes. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> it's just yes and. Funny, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what do you want to ask about Liverpool? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it sounds like Lavia would be a good fit in their midfield. Like you don't, then like like we said earlier, you don't need a carbon copy replacement for Fabinho. Somebody a bit busier. Well, I think Fabinho is more important in build up and just holding that anchor role. Oh. Whereas Lavia has made a lot of mistakes where he's been oh, caught right. waiting for the ball or making a wrong. But as a goal, that it was directly his fault that he just passed it straight to someone. I mean, these happen. These things happen. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's very young. young. Yeah. Yeah. So like, of course, these things are going to happen, and he will develop and turn into that easily can turn into that sort of player. I think Liverpool would need someone who's uh, authoritative um, in the way that Fabinho is, like a calm sort of leadership who might occasionally lunge into you <laughs> and uh, take you out. Like Fabinho's been great for Liverpool for so long. But the, the season they won the league and the season before that when they won, when they won the Champions League, he was superb, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yes, uh, absolutely. And then, well, I can't think who the backup to, to Fabinho is at the moment. It was by by Chetich. By Chetich, yeah. So then that's the thing, right? So if you want to bring through young players, you can't put obstacles in their pathway. So you want to make sure that you've got uh, the main players there and one coming through can get the minutes when you're resting them and you just sort of line them. And then you get the benefit of that in a season. And if Liverpool, I mean, Liverpool won't be expected to win the league next season. They'll be expected to progress and get much better and take another step up. And that's a really good time to give someone like Bacetic time to play and get minutes, I, think, I would say. I think timeline is important here because it's it's important to remember that he's Lavia is really young. I mean, he's at his age, he's got like a Premier League season under his belt. And I think if you look at if you compare him with some of the like for like players around the Premier League, um, for example, Rodri. I think Rodri had like one Atletico Madrid game by the time he was uh, Lavia's current age. So he's super far ahead of his development curve in a lot of respects, and that is because. 
Manchester City decided that they didn't want to risk him as a backup to Rodri so early and so they brought Calvin Phillips in and that meant that he wanted to move away because it it seems as though he has a a sort of fairly positive attitude towards his own development and was like, well, if you're not going to play me in the starting 11 or in the starting squad of Manchester City, then I'm going to move on. so yeah, I, th- I think the, the big question with him now is going to be, you know, what what's what is best for his development? Where where should it be good for him to play? Should he be playing first team football week in week out, maybe lower down the Premier League, um, and, and and getting starting minutes there, or should he be jumping into one of the big teams and and, and sort of performing as a as a backup player, which seems to be something that he doesn't doesn't necessarily want to do, but you know maybe that experience could be good for him as well. So I think the timeline for him will be will be interesting to watch and that will be made clear I suppose when we see what his next move is uh, I guess he is, is 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 the supposition that he will move this summer or is there a I think there's just a lot of interest because he's mm. really good or yeah. talented at least yeah, promising yeah. get him now before he's worth even more or something like that yeah pretty much yeah. Um, well t- speaking West of- Ham that'd be good wouldn't it yeah. yeah, I mean, Phillips could go to West Ham as well because he's not getting any games at City, is he? Although City signings do have that year to adapt pattern, don't they? So we'll see. Why are you, why are you smiling at John when I say that? Just want to see what John would say about Calvin Phillips when uh, he said that. He said something funny about Calvin Phillips to me earlier, but I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> um, you can't tease the audience like that. They're <laughs> <laughs> listening. Um, you have to become friends with Ruben or myself if you yeah. want access to that kind of information. If you mm. um, if you talk to Ruben on threads... <laughs> I actually haven't made an account yet. Have you not? No, I'm, I'm going to have Do you to. like it? I'm, I don't know. I haven't made an account. Yeah. I like Twitter. But I just I don't like the it's fact that it's breaking. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've got uh, another listener's question uh, sent in by Andrew Termer. Is he listening now? Huh? Is he listening right now? I can hear him. Oh, <laughs> he's knocking on the window. That's so weird. And he says, "If you led recruitment at a big six club not called Man City or Man City, as John would say, <laughs> what would be a sensible transfer strategy for the next two years? Should clubs be planning for post Pep era instead of spending two hundred million? to try but fail to win the league now? Oh, that's a good question. Mm, good question, Andrew. Tell you, yeah, tell him it's good. He says thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Answer it then. All right, well, <laughs> you, you thought it was a good question, so you can... Well, uh, this is what you were getting at, right, when you were talking about timelines, right? Should you... Is it is it where we talked about this in the Manchester United sensible transfer video, which is Manchester United starting 11 is pretty good but they're all quite old. And so if they want to make the most of having a good starting 11 that are quite old right now, they need to bring in prime age players and just try and go for it in the meantime. But Man City are really good. Man City are really good. (laughs) (laughs) Rattled. (laughs) The big question is whether John can see Man City next time. Three in my head now. Um, The big big question is whether or not you would actually end up winning the title when you're coming up against Man City like that. So... Do you know um, who's doing it um, quite well is Arsenal because that the age of their squad they're all about 23-24 and I think the oldest player they'll have now will be like Jorginho and he's only about 30 mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. uh, Even Odegaard their captain he's like 23 Yeah so it? then so it's almost like because they weren't meant to be challenging for the title that wasn't part of the plan last season and so if when what's, what do we reckon Guardiola maybe a couple of years or something like that Yeah I, I, d- yeah. I don't know why I think this but I, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's meant to leave in two years time. There was There was that some reference in the yeah. in in the news cycle that he was saying two years more and that that's me done so Well if he is then Arsenal might be at exactly the right time to be able to pounce on that and if they don't spend well they spent loads of money this window haven't they it's been quite sensible I would have, I would say uh, very apt. Maybe they can save some money next year, wait for the one after, and buy Mbappe for about two hundred million, and that'll be the. 
yeah. the way they do it. He could, Mbappe versus Holland, that'd be fun. It will be fascinating to see if we do start seeing very obviously that the other big six sides, not Manchester City, end up having that sort of approach. And so when we get to that season where Pep leaves, all of the big six sides are just primed mm. to have a peak age season. It'll be like the opposite of that season that Leicester won the league when they were all inexplicably <laughs> shared. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were. Um, it seems like Liverpool are kind of doing that as well, like signing players like McAllister and Sobosway. He's building a whole new team, yeah. yeah. And like he's, he's kind of had to. And there's a thing that they were they were quite far off it last year, but we know they've had loads of trouble. But they're I think they've changed their system again to be this new thing where they put Alexander Arnold inside the pitch. How long they do that for, I don't know. Because um, there are there's so many times where I've seen clear clear problems of the defensive structure behind the gap that Alexander Arnold is, is filling. Uh, and there's if everyone is doing a box midfield, who will do the triangles? Exactly, yeah. Because like the whole point is that the other team aren't doing that, right? So you get a numerical advantage. If everybody copies each other, then a new trend will How emerge. How do you beat the box midfield? There's a diamond, right? Yeah. You just stick it the way around, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So your four four two diamond will come back, and it'll be a diamond. I, I, I hate, think the problem. I hate the four four two diamond. Pro- the problem with the the box midfield approach that people are using is that you're gonna you, you just end up matching player for player, right? Because you have three three at the front, three at the back, and then a box. And most midfields now go player for player anyway, so the difference between a box and a diamond probably doesn't even mean anything because you, if you're matching up out of possession, it doesn't matter what the opposition are doing as long as you're matching up to the players in that midfield. So you just end up cancelling. Do you remember when um, Conte came over and used the three-four-three shape in the Premier League and everyone then started trying to use the three-four-three shape against him and it just ended up with these really stodgy games where yeah. everyone was just man-marked the whole game. Arsenal and, did that in the FA Cup final with a yeah. back three of Rob Holding, Per Mertesacker and Nacho Monreal and right. won. It's also like when um, when everyone everyone played four two three one, and so all the games like Burnley versus Aston Villa is so boring because it's the same thing. It's like one tiny mistake will and be what decides the game. Both teams look the same because they're wearing the same kit, and they're well. all yeah. equally good. Yeah, yeah, they're wearing the same kit. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell them apart. Yeah. It's a nightmare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although that that phenomenon in sixteen seventeen did provide. Um, Tottenham 2 Chelsea nil with two identical goals yeah. Ericsson just crossing it back post to, to oh Deli Alley with the headers yeah, yeah, yeah of course I do always find it funny when teams clearly think well you know Man City are the best team in the league and this is how they play therefore we should just play like them because the difference between them and us is just the tactics that we play which is it's what I do in Football Manager a lot I do whatever's <laughs> popular see how I can make it work inside the game and then I do oh that's quite good I guess that's kind of what other managers are doing. I mean, do, they must do, do you think that. that that's because one? Of the, I don't know if you've noticed this, but on social media, when I, I put videos out often, and people will say, "What about as a solution to this problem, whatever the problem is, is to do what Pep Guardiola does? So, like, have a John Stones type player who goes into midfield from the centre back area, yeah, um, and box midfields. I think another one like that where everyone's just like, oh yeah, now all of these teams are just going to start using box midfields. But how many teams do you think will actually? adopt those tactics do you think there will be a big shift or do you think actually teams will just get on with it because like with the Arsenal one right the Arsenal the solution to Arsenal's problems everyone's like well they'll just play a box midfield and then you can fit all of the midfielders in because you've got an extra midfielder I mean we'll see the return I think we're due a return to the 3-5-2 Catanaccio (laughs) into Milan in the 60s and probably I mean 4-4-2 Guardiola always skipped past that already and also, yeah. the formations don't matter anymore, do they? Because it's all different shapes and different Guardiola's phases. Guardiola's been playing a 4-4-2 out of possession for years now. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think we're going to see the return of the 4-4-2 diamond. And Liverpool tried that last season, actually. And Man City did it in the Champions League final, right? The 4-4-2 diamond, pretty much. Oh, I, yeah. I, 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 I don't like the 4-4-2 diamond. I think 
Well, maybe, maybe this. I'm, I'm showing. You said myself you hated to, it earlier. Yeah. Why have you softened? <laughs> well, no, I do hate it. On, but maybe I'm showing myself to be a bit of a FIFA head because, in theory, it's good because you have you keep your ten, you have two strikers, and your fullbacks can provide width by bombing forward. But in reality, it's just stodgy and narrow. And then your wide eights get dragged out, and then there's this gaping hole in the middle of the pitch. How do you press the wide areas? You got to yeah. push one of the midfields forward. And there's a gap behind. Do you know what this actually reminds me? Of? I was at Wembley once watching. Roy well, that was Hodgson's. your first. That was your first mistake, <laughs> watching football at Wembley. Yeah, it's it's never that much fun. Um, watching Roy Hodgson's England play a warm up game before Euro 2016, and he switched to a three uh, to a four three three for the tournament. But before that, he was playing a diamond to shoehorn in Rooney, Vardy, and Kane. But then what it led to was Kane and Vardy chasing fullbacks because they'd had to press wide and Rooney basically playing as a false nine. So you just had Harry Kane stuck out on the left wing the whole time. and Taking corners. Like, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. It's I wonder, just a true tactical vision. I wonder what it would have sounded like if Roy Hodgson were to ask Harry Kane to take corners. <laughs> well, you know, Harry, we, uh, we don't have many good ball strikers in the squad, so uh, if you wouldn't mind going over there and whipping some balls in for Wayne. Rooney was in the squad. He could have taken them. Yeah. Uh, I found that very frustrating. Yeah. There must have been some method. And you to didn't it. even want us to win. Uh, I don't really care most of the time. Most of the time, I actually really um, want England to do well. And then it gets to the point where they might. And then it becomes funny that they don't. And then that's okay. why it changes. Yeah, I understand that cycle. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We mentioned Liverpool earlier. They've just signed Dominic Soboslai from RB Leipzig. He is... What kind of player is he? Because is he, he's a 10 who can play out wide, but Liverpool don't really play a 10. So how do you see them using him? I think they could sing the Shakira songs. He goes, oh, I'm at tonight and Sober's Lie. Starting to score for you, boy. That's, yeah. Retention, ball retention. <laughs> <laughs> You're playing in my new box midfield. I don't know. <laughs> what are we saying about him? How they're going to use him? Oh man, he's so good. So was like he basically carried Hungary to the um, was it Euro twenty twenty, which was held in twenty one, wasn't yeah. it? it was from the, the bad times. They were in a really tough group as well. He he got injured for a while. He's so so good. He can play all across the front. He can play like a, a wide right, wide left, a false nine. He can play midfield slightly deeper. All those positions like uh, left, center, right. I th- I think when I've seen him play, he plays better when he comes off the right. But I think he likes playing through the middle more as a 10, I think he's talked about. But he'll part, kind of be doing a bit of both because it looks very much like that we're just talking about Klopp's going to change to more of a, 
a box midfield possibly which allows the eights to be naturally more attacking exactly right? so which... they can play alongside a forward and then the forward can be Gakpo and drop deep to give you a pentagon shape a, a pentagon midfield um <laughs> With McAllister as the slightly more reserved left-sided eight. Yeah, presumably. which is the um, which is the spooky shape when you can summon demons? Pentangle. A pen- <laughs> a pentangle. Something like that. It's like a st- five-pointed star. Yeah, I think they're going to have a pentangle midfield <laughs> <laughs> and okay. summon demons. Um, Sounds complicated. Goal demons and assist demons like Dominic Sobersley. He's also a big Liverpool fan. But he's uh, yeah, he will make a lot of difference for them playing in those um, positions, half spaces especially. Uh, but I also don't... I mean, they'll have this box midfield option. I have a strong suspicion they might try and... They'll end up reverting uh, to the standard More like 4 3, up, three. Yeah. They might even start using overlapping fullbacks fully again. So it's got a feeling about it. It makes sense what everyone else is doing. So if, if they move to a box midfield, that's Trent Alexander-Arnold moving alongside Fabinho and then McAllister pushing up. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Mm, I don't really like that. I don't like for either. For a number of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> one, one reason maybe agree with I don't like it is that Andy Robertson then plays left centre-back. Uh, when they move really far forward, he can then go in the overlap, but he's not like he's a winger. Yeah, it doesn't he, suit him. I think he's an attacking winger. He can do the job easily, but like, he, yeah. And I think what you then start doing is targeting different parts of Liverpool's defence and probing for holes. A bit like when they turn the electric off in the fences in Jurassic Park. <laughs> eventually, you find a way through it. It's just like that. I think so. What were you, what other reasons you? Well, well, I was I was just going to say that it seems to me that we've we already talked about why you might invert your fullback before and it seemed to me the the main concern in I- inverting Trent Alexander-Arnold is to get him away from the fullback area which is quite different from what most of the coaches <laughs> are doing when they invert their fullback so the the big question I always think is you're not getting any I don't think you're getting any defensive advantage from having Alexander-Arnold in a more central spot other than you you're a little bit more clear about who's supposed to be covering that wide area in the fullback space which he's yeah. supposed to be p- patrolling and he can I guess he can drop in into the back line and you have someone like Kanata who's who I think is good at playing that sort of outside center back 1v1 defender role on on the right hand side but you don't get any benefit from having him there necessarily um and then the other thing we've talked about is you know a lot of it's to do with being able to maintain possession uh, and and help the team progress the ball down the field but I don't again I don't see that as necessarily being Trent Alexander-Arnold's responsibility in the team his responsibility in the team is to get forward into those half space um, areas where he can whip those balls in to to his teammates further down the field. So um, I, I have no problem whatsoever with him inverting or, or underlapping, as we called it before, because that's that's his bag, right? That's what you want him to be doing. Yeah. He is absolutely elite at this at this thing, which requires him to be there. But um, I think the, the the problem that we're seeing Klopp trying to solve with Trent Alexander-Arnold is how do you keep a player who's absolutely elite at this one area of the game, but then has deficiencies in other areas of the game? How do you fit him into those other phases of play where you can't be doing his is really elite stuff. So, yeah, they're going to try and find a... They'll coach it a lot, I imagine, pre-season. They'll spend a lot yeah, of time making able, sure the positions are right. be interesting to see what happens, but I, I just don't see him necessarily as an inverted player. Do you know right? a reason it's interesting as well? Because sure enough, you've got Sobers Lai and McAllister in midfield that's useful with Fabinho and um, Alexander-Arnold, but then you need the width and Salah needs to come inside, so then you're losing that whole right that, that right width of he's staying wide and you're making Salah... I mean, and he, and he struggled at the start of last season. He got good numbers again at the end of the season. I can just wonder whether Klopp will just be like, do you know what? Like, I'm a bit done with all all this. Let's just go and do the the thing. The thing that works. Let's do the thing. We'll put um, uh, we'll put Diaz and, and Jota at the left forward, and you've got Salah as a right forward, and you've got Nunez who could turn out to be amazing. 
with that, you know, playing or Gakpo, or Gakpo, and you yeah. got the options, and then you can start making Robertson and Alexander Arnold overlap. Then the opposition starts going, oh no, they're doing this thing, so we'll adapt to that because we know how to stop that, and they do that, and then they can just switch it into whatever else during this during the same game, and then you get the same problem because yeah. it'd be the same exact shape, you're just moving different players around. Everything's a cycle, it, but yeah, it seems like the, the the inversion thing with the box midfield kind of causes as many problems as it solves for Liverpool. It's almost bit. like do you know what? It's almost like um, how in the NFL you've got all these different plays where you can. St- st- stops and starts but football might end up becoming a bit like that where you have formation plays where you change the, what you're doing at certain times of games yeah. based on how it's going which kind of already happens I suppose but if it's more fluid it's and yeah. strategised then you can choose it Alright enough about inverted fullbacks should we talk about goalkeepers I have a question here from Harry McCullen 2227 and he says it seems there's a big market for goalkeepers this season with Onana Raya Sanchez all linked with moves We've already seen Tottenham recruit Vicario and Brighton bring in <laughs> Here we go. Verbruggen. <laughs> uh, they did a great announcement video for him, by the way. His name's Bart. Yeah, Simpson's right. thing. He did While the Fleck- thing on the board, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I must good. sign for... for yeah. <laughs> While Flecken has joined Brentford in anticipation of Raya's departure, could the pod address the process of analysing goalkeepers, their views on the keepers moving this summer, and how the number one position is recruited by clubs with regards to squad building? I can help analyse a bit where they control the ball with their feet because I've also <laughs> done that um, in a very, very poor quality in real life. But I have no idea to analyse goalkeepers other than looking at some data. Uh-huh. What, um, so what data is key when you're... Well, ask John, who is the stats <laughs> guru, is it goals, previous job. Goals conceded. I think the, the, the people who've been following the sensible transfer <laughs> yeah, videos... Goals has he let in? Yeah, <laughs> yeah goals conceded. Uh, I think people who've been following the sensible transfer videos will... Uh, have noticed that we haven't recommended any goalkeepers I don't think I haven't have you no, it's one of the most difficult positions to analyse I did one on Andrew Onana but again it's because I can see the benefits of having a player who's in midfield when he's a goalkeeper I like that I'm all for that yeah well especially when you contrast with De Gea with David De Gea yeah, yeah who's it's like someone's trying to put the ball in your own goal and you're trying to stop him <laughs> Yeah, I think it is a fascinating. It's a fascinating conversation because I think it's easy to sort of just have this dichotomy between goalkeepers using their feet and goalkeepers, you know, doing everything else that we expect traditional goalkeepers to do. Um, and I think maybe there is a tendency to overrate goalkeepers who are good with their feet because yeah. because one that's it's rare and two those goalkeepers are going to suit better teams so they become uh, they're going to become uh, more valuable I suppose. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely a, a whole host of, of different forms of analysis that you can use to to de- determine whether or not a, a, a goalkeeper is is good or not. And um, I remember in my last job for Analytics FC, I spoke to a guy who was using data in goalkeeping and just some of the things that they use, the metrics that they use are really interesting. So particularly, I think now looking at the way that goalkeepers command their box, right? So how do they deal with crosses from different zones? Um, uh, and and a, a lot of the stuff that uh, people like John Harrison do on Twitter where they do, I guess it's more qu- uh, qualitative analysis of goalkeepers coming out. What should they have done? Should they have smothered the ball? Should they have stayed big? Should they have stayed in their in, in their line, etc.? It's not subjective like. though. It's another thing, isn't it? Yeah, so and this, what that's, that's what happens when you do qualitative research, right? You're making an assessment on the basis of what you think is good. Right. And you have to determine what those things are. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, goalkeepers I think are becoming are becoming super important in, in 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 football and I think because goalkeeping does feel to a lot of us like a completely different sport a lot of us do sort of shy away from it I refuse to ever go and goal because when I was like 15 I broke my wrist twice well I sprained it either way I hate it continue <laughs> but, I mean I've pretty much come to the end of it so 
but we should uh, maybe we'll get someone on the podcast to talk about goalkeepers at some point because I, it is always good to get a goalkeeper expert in because I think they offer so much upside in terms of explaining what's going on because no one really no one really knows. I, I think we should get David De Gea on so he can slag me off <laughs> for being terrible. Yeah. yeah, I love how you said upside there. It's just very on brand. I don't know if you saw that tweet the other day, but yeah. someone suggesting that a Valentine's card themed with me on it saying you give me lots of upside or something yeah. like that. I'll make that. Okay. The big question is, will you be my Valentine? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, okay. So one last listener's question to wrap up with. Uh, there's been a trend of players having high G&A, goals and assists, in the Bundesliga, but we see a dip when they move to the Premier League. So can we apply some sort of scaling variable to predict the performance of the rumoured player based on the similar previous transfers in terms of league and player position? Basically, is Jadon Sancho a fraud? Mm. Yeah, this is from Aishawara on Twitter. Mm. Sorry, I didn't... I didn't no, it's all right. Really I just thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah. But yeah, the big question, you know, Bundesliga tax, is it real? But... I think this is interesting because one of the big questions that you're always going to ask when you're doing sensible transfers is how sensible is a transfer on the basis of the fact that we're mainly covering teams who are elite clubs and there's a sense in which most of those clubs aren't going to risk spending a lot of money on a player unless that player is already proven at the level that they're at. Um, so I think in the past we, we had a tendency to talk about players from loads of different leagues and you know some of those players have gone on to become successful players at the elite level uh, but for a lot of um, I think recruitment particularly at the highest level um, they would never bring a player in unless they had maybe done a step up so for example would you bring a would Manchester United bring in a player who was playing well in the Belgium Belgian league uh, probably not they'd probably wait for them to make a step to I don't know the Eredivisie for example or uh, Portugal's a great example because there's a lot of players who come from Brazil to Portugal um, to make, make that step uh, as well so there's been a sense in which a lot of the players that we cover in the sensible transfers now are are sort of a lot of people say oh you know that you've just mentioned players that that they're linked with and the reason that that is the case is because there's a there's a very finite number of players that are available to a team like for example Manchester United if they're looking for a central midfielder of a specific of a specific role there's there's so few players that they can really be linked to and so mo- most of the or could fulfill that role most of the players they're going to be linked Schneider. to are going to be okay. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, not anymore. Is he still playing? He was playing in, in oh, no. Turkey, wasn't he? For, no, he's, he's definitely well. not still playing. Um, but yeah, I think this is a re- this is a really interesting one because there's a few things you can say. On the one hand, I think people look at leagues far too generally, right? So you, you, we, we've mentioned the Portuguese league. Now, there's a difference between signing a player. Manchester United may sign a player from uh, from the Portuguese league if they bring in someone like Gonzalo Ramos. Um, and, they signed Bruno Fernandes from the Portuguese yeah, league. Yeah, exactly. So, the, you know, you can bring in players from the, the big teams in Portugal, but then the drop-off in quality between the top and the bottom of the Portuguese league is massive. So again, it would be you'd be unlikely to have a a, a, a big team signing someone from, I don't know, Torrenza or something. Um, I think they might even be in the second division. So I'm, I'm talking out of my bottom. But um, <laughs> I, I, you know, you can't just you can't just simply treat a league as yeah. okay that league is out of bounds because it's not good enough. It's actually you should be doing it on a on a um, on a team by team basis. And for example, some of the players in that league will be playing in European competition and you can use that as a good way of judging as well. So I think that the, the, the example given is Bundesliga and the Bundesliga is stylistically a very different league to the Premier League. Um, there's a reason why I think a lot of players can look quite good in the Bundesliga and then come to the Premier League and not look as good because um, the, the games are very transitional um, and 
there are certain players like we've, we've there's a whole host of players you've come across right playing really good transitional football and then not made it in the Premier League so not just Jaden Sancho as you said but I mean to a degree Kai Havertz was a really really dangerous transition player and hasn't looked as good in the Premier League as people thought Timo Werner is another example of that as well so I think that when it comes to this sort of question, moving a player from one league to another, one team to another, I mean, that's the, that's the holy grail of what recruitment analysts are trying to do. It, it, the big question is, this player is playing really well for this team, but if I take them out of that team and that country and that league and put them in my team, what will it look like? And I think um, that's why you have to assess each of these. That's what we've tried to do in these sensible transfer videos to a degree, is talk about context. What is the context that underlies why this player is playing well or what this team needs? Um, so, yeah, hopefully... I mean, I've, I've just sort of rambled a lot about a lot of different things, but I, I don't think it's as clear as to be like, well, the, all players in the Bundesliga are never going to be good in the Premier League. Well, Holland's done all right, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Whereas you can tell with some, but I mean, like yeah, John's saying, like most like data models, there are loads of different ones. Like Smarter Scouts, one we use at the Athletic quite a lot, and they have a model where they can compare what it would be like based on the Premier League or the Bundesliga, and you get different scores for those players. That's based, amazing. Based on that, it's pretty cool. How they work that out? Uh, it's just an algorithm you can play with it and, and you sort of I guess maybe a lot of it is subjective so then it depends on what you think it is maybe I don't know I don't know how they do it it's perhaps magic it's impressive isn't it I think so do you like magic uh, <laughs> yeah I like magic that's nice yeah I don't I do find street magicians rather cringeworthy though do you see when do you see a street magician <laughs> Covent Garden hanging around the corners yeah like, it's my least favourite my least favourite thing hey about. kid you want to see a trick <laughs> Um, don't pick a card please don't remind me um, no I, it's my least favourite thing about Covent Garden is the, the awful magicians how often you get harassed from someone in the street asking you to pick a card not very often to be honest no but what type of magic do you like um I, well I mean I like wizards oh yeah yeah you cast spells <laughs> turn people into animals witches though interestingly enough mm. witches do you like Harry Potter no no me neither I read all of them except the last one because then I was like I was older over there and I was like what am I doing <laughs> I mean I enjoyed them for a lot of it I mostly read them to try and beat my sister to reading them because yeah. we get them at the same time and she's two years younger than me so then I was like I'll read this faster because I'm older I wasn't a big reader as a kid and Harry Potter did not I can tell <laughs> wow wow savage <laughs> Um, I can read that. I don't actually know I just thought it would work as a joke it's yeah, a no, yeah. yeah it was a bit mean anyway um, I think that's I think that's about it. I think we should stop talking now. You think and so? I think we should go home. But thank you very much for for the good chat. Any any final words? <laughs> uh, it's a kind of magic. Nice. John. He's magic, you know. Mauricio Pochettino. Thanks for listening. Uh, John will be back soon with interviews. And I might be back in the future too with interviews. As JJ might as well. Continue to watch their videos on TIFO IRL on YouTube. Cheers. And- do you want your one as well? Oh, yeah. And uh, follow The Athletic FC on TikTok for great 30-second newsy videos. For all your Ruben Pinder needs. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>